As far as we know, between 1754, five years before he died, and 1920, no opera that he wrote was ever performed. I'm talking of Handel. And where do you even start in thinking of his music? Well, one word, Messiah. George Friedrich Handel, born in Germany, the same year as J.S. Bach. But while Bach spent a lifetime writing and playing church music on an organ, Handel moved to England. He wrote 42 operas and two dozen oratories. Where does one start with his music? One word, Messiah. This year, under the dark cloud of COVID, performances in churches and concert halls canceled, but the music lives on. An oratorio that's totally scripture, starting with the prophecies of the Messiah to be born, a redeemer who would live, die, and live again, and then come again in final judgment. First performed for Easter, but now more for Christmas. I can only say, I know my Redeemer liveth. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris. We're sharing the great story together that's all about Jesus. And we're in a series this week called Comfort Ye, My People. Comfort ye, my people. Music keeps changing always. Take the Psalms. If we heard the Psalms sung to instruments used in the first century, they might not take to our ears today. Some Christians got around that by psalm singing without instruments. Years ago, a friend in London took me to the gravesite of the great hymn writer and pastor Isaac Watts. I was surprised to learn that the hymns Watts wrote, while sometimes sounding a bit dated today, if not modernized, were considered contemporary, even edgy back in his day. Music keeps changing always. But sometimes music travels well over time, including the greatest body of Christian music I believe ever written, The Oratorio by George Friedrich Handel, The Messiah. In a moment, we're going to meet up with Sarah Bardwell, director of Handel House in London. I visited this place a few years ago and had a wonderful time exploring. In fact, I encourage you to visit our website and watch the short documentary that we shot while in England. It was in this house that Handel wrote his famous Messiah. I asked Sarah Bardwell what the best introductory song for someone would be to listen to, to this famous oratorio. sure you've heard that song before and in just a few minutes Sarah Bardwell will be back with us and we're going to talk about the spiritual experience Handel had when he wrote this song that you just heard but before that have you ever wondered why Messiah was composed in the first place it was written to combat the rising secularism and humanistic deism that Handel and his Christian friends saw in the 1700s Messiah features the raw power of God's Word. Every word from the Messiah comes from Scripture, and every passage spotlights Jesus. Straight from Isaiah 9, as Isaiah was moved by the Spirit, 
to prophesy about the coming Messiah. As I listen to the lyrics set to music by Handel, I'm deeply moved with my love for Jesus. There's nothing like it, and I can't recommend it highly enough for you this upcoming holiday season. I've already taken it off the shelf, and we've started listening to it around the house. I keep it going when I drive my car. Over and over again these next few weeks to come, the Messiah speaks to me, as I hope it will to you. We have Handel's Messiah recorded with the Cambridge Singers, conducted by John Rutter with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It was recorded to clearly understand every word. So I invite you to let this masterpiece fill your home and your heart this Christmas season with the light and the glory of the Messiah. Call us after the program, would you, for this two-CD set of Messiah? Our thanks for your gift to Haven today. Our number is 800 6 That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or watch our mini-documentary and get it by visiting us at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And not to forget, we still have the first season of The Chosen TV show for your gift, a powerful presentation from the perspective of those whose lives were changed by Jesus. You can ask about it when you call or watch that preview there on our website. Now, let's open this haven today by giving glory to God. Welcome back to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, and that was Glory to God from Handel's Messiah. I want us to go back to London. I want us to hear from the director of Handel's house, where the composer lived and wrote Messiah. Her name is Sarah Bardwell. I asked her if Handel always wrote at a piano or a harpsichord. I think he had the music in his head. I think it was all about him, all all the time. He wrote at a table, you know, with with Mm -hmm. a, a... 
quill, as you as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a wonderful story actually about him here in the bedroom when he supposedly the servant came in when he was in the middle of writing Messiah. The servant came in one morning to find Handel in tears in 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 his bed, mm-hmm. apparently having just written the Alleluia chorus. Mm-hmm. Now that could be an apocryphal story, but uh, it's quite a uh, lovely I, one. I'll take it as true. <laughs> it's a great story. Tell us about his writing of of, of Messiah. Uh, I've always heard he'd never left the house uh, while he was writing yeah, Messiah. No, exactly. Yeah. The main reason we don't think he did was because he wrote it so quickly. He wrote it in three weeks in mm-hmm. September ni- 1741. Mm-hmm. So. If you look at the score of the Messiah, it is so thick. It, I mean, even if I was copying it out, I think it would take me three weeks. And of course, he was creating it. I mean, he was writing it. Mm. And and the uh, uh, the words, the the words from Scripture that Charles Jennings uh, had sent to him. Uh, I understand that this was a low point in Handel's career. Um, I think he was having. Yes, there were some challenges. I mean, I think he'd had some health issues and there were also some challenges of his music not being as popular as perhaps it was previously as, as, as the Italian opera was falling out of fashion. But actually, he had the words for Messiah on his shelf here in Brook Street for 18 months before he turned to, to them to write them, to set them. So he, I, I don't think it was... Um, it wasn't a pressing thing in some ways and it sort of just... I think, I don't know if we quite woke up one morning and thought, oh, I'll do this now. Mm. Um, and and I, I think there's a... There's a debate about whether Jennings thought that perhaps Handel hadn't um, put enough effort into writing this amazing okay, piece okay, of work. Okay, yes. And, and, and little did Handel know, Jennings was perhaps even uh, praying because he was a very religious man. Exactly. He, was a, he was a deeply committed Christian and was probably praying for Handel to please go ahead and write this oratorio that I've pulled the scripture texts yeah. for you. I think that's exactly what, what was happening. I mean, I think, as you say, Jennings was incredibly religious and he wrote... All of the the librettos that he provided for Handel are, are religious works. Mm-hmm. He was very well read of in, read his Bible, obviously, and knew it extremely well. Um, and I think it was a it was a very much a, from a religious standpoint that Jennings was coming, and he wanted Handel to be inspired to create mm-hmm. this amazing music. I think Handel perhaps is a bit more. Um, I think it was he was more realistic. He wanted it to be a successful piece of music, and in, indeed, of yes, it was. yes. Although he was a Lutheran, and I have heard that after the Messiah was released, it was kind of a time of a of spiritual uh, awakening for Handel too, for the rest of his life, from some of the notes and things that he left. Yes, yeah, certainly, and and I th- certainly think, particularly towards the end of his life, by the time he was. Going blind in 1750s, 1751, Handel attended church a lot, and there's a lot of records of him going to the church. St George's just around the corner from the house here, okay, right. um, and there's he was never the organist there, but he would sit in in the back pew and and be there. And I often wonder whether it was, he actually couldn't he could do less in that he couldn't write as much, he couldn't play as much because he mm-hmm. couldn't see. So mm-hmm. like, like Beethoven couldn't hear, he yeah. couldn't see uh, the last few years of his life then. Okay. If you just joined us, we're coming to you on Haven Today from Handel House uh, in London, 25 Brook Street. And I'm Charles Morris, and I'm with Sarah uh, Bardwell, and she's the director of Handel House. And Handel, of course, didn't know that there would be this lasting effect, you know, of his music, did he? No. Uh, No, he had no idea. Not, I think, of the extent of particularly of Messiah. Um, I think he was, he knew in his own life, he was recognized in his own lifetime as being a very skillful and successful composer and if he was walking around Mayfair here people would recognise him, there goes Mr Handel, he was taking the air in Hyde Park just down the road, okay. so I think people so that must have given him some awareness of, of how 
good his music was, but mm-hmm. you can have really no idea that 300 years later people will still be We're playing still it. listening to his yeah. music. Sarah, we happen to be listening to the uh, John Rutter ar- arrangement uh, with the Cambridge Singers and uh, so a smallish group, smallish orchestra, mm-hmm. uh, which is really more like it was when Handel first composed yeah. it, right? Not a huge chorus with 500 voices and, you know, uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra or yes. something. It, it, was a, it was a smaller production at first, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So though at the time that was quite standard. That's I mean, that what was you considered did. Big. That's how that's how you perform music. Okay. Um, and so I, I, that, that wouldn't have been unusual. I think if Handel was writing now, he would have been writing for ninety people in the symphony orchestra and you know two hundred and fifty people okay. in the court. I, I don't. So I think he'd quite enjoy the fact that we do these wonderful come and sing moments when you can go and fill the Abbot Hall and sing Messiah. I, I, I'm sure that's pretty standard. Although it's nice for us to hear it as Handel would have heard it. Well, which is not why only we that, it's clearer. It's more distinguishable with a smaller yeah. group of uh, yeah. singers than as well. Yes. Uh, may I ask you what is your favorite uh, out of the Messiah? What, what, um, if you could um, think of the I, piece that you enjoy the most, maybe the aria I really like is actually the very beginning, "Comfort Ye." I think that's a really mm, comfort ye, of, my a, people. Oh yeah, yes. there's that, that moment when it just starts, and you, just like, oh, and you just sort of, mm-hmm. yeah, I enjoy that. Sarah Bardwell, you you have been so nice and and so informative. I just want to thank you for giving us your time here. Bless you for what you do, and thank you for joining me on Haven today. Thank you, Charles. Haven today. And if you want to see Handel's house and what it looks like, and you can't go to London, and of course none of us can right now, I would encourage you to watch the mini-documentary we shot a few years ago on location in London. Sarah Bardwell, the curator, takes us throughout his home and we've posted it there at haventoday.org. And if you missed our program yesterday with Dr. Ruth Smith, a Handel scholar, we still have that on our website, and her thoughts are truly worth a listen. She mentioned something important. While Handel wrote the music, he didn't write the words. The lyrics were put together by a wealthy landowner named Charles Jennings. As I said before, music keeps changing always. But there's something about Handel that stirs one's soul beyond the 1700s when it was first composed. What Jennings did must not be forgotten, not be lost. First, his background. Jennings grew up a wealthy man, a landowner. He went to Oxford but never graduated. More than offering money to fund the arts, he even wrote the words for several works by Handel. He was known for collecting fine art, but this is not so well known. As a young man, a fire began to burn, a spiritual fire. He grew interested and started to follow what at the time was called primitive Christianity, something the wealthy just didn't do. Call him a born-again, soul-winning, evangelistic Christian, for that is what he became in his time. Everybody in his country was born into the Church of England, but Jennings knew that didn't make one a Christian. How could he reach these people with true faith to find true salvation in Jesus Christ? That's when it came to him. Use his God-given gift to draw people to find true faith. How does someone come to true faith? by hearing God's word. So he set about setting God's word to music that his friend Handel would compose. Which leads to my second point regarding Charles Jennings. He started writing. 
But not just any words did he start to write. He was steeped in God's Word, and from God's Word he began to write. He prayed for God's guidance as he drew on God's Word. The words began to flow from three parts of Scripture, Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah's birth, New Testament stories of the actual birth of Christ, his death, and his resurrection, and then ultimately to Judgment Day, with the final chorus drawn from the book of Revelation. He worked long, and he worked hard, and finally the lyrics were finished. It was nothing less than an expanded gospel tract. The Bible set to music, the lead people to faith in what was called primitive Christianity, or as we might say today, true Christianity. And that leads me to Handel. Charles Jennings packaged up the lyrics he had written as an oratorio and sent them off to London to his good friend, originally from Germany. And the package arrived and sat and sat and sat, and there was no response. Jennings wrote to Handel, Did you get it? What do you think? Have you started writing the music? Finally, Handel responded. He was ready. Handel was a professing Christian, not as devout as his Anglican friend Jennings, but something happened. He started composing. There was now a fire burning in Handel. I call it a spiritual fire, as he pondered over the words his Christian friend had assembled from Holy Scripture. At an astounding rate, he wrote morning to night and completed in as little as three weeks between August and September 1741. It was intended for Easter the following year. It was first presented in Dublin to a full house. They asked women not to wear dresses with hoops so more women and men could fit in the concert hall. Jennings wrote in a letter to another friend, I hope Handel will lay out his whole genius and skill upon it, that the composition may excel all his former compositions as the subject, meaning Christ Jesus, excels every other subject. Jennings was on a spiritual mission. And now, heading into autumn, 1741, the 56-year-old Handel took on that fire with this same mission. How do we know something spiritual was going on inside him? Well, one reason I know is from spending time in London at the Foundling Museum, not far from his house. Handel never married, never had children, but donated all his music, including Messiah, to the Free Children's Hospital nearby. Young children who had no homes, no money, were offered care. I want you to listen to a moment I had with another person I met in London. She's the director of the Foundling Museum, and her name is Catherine Hogg. Catherine, we're looking at this facsimile of the original score, and I'm seeing amen, amen, amen. There were a lot of amens at the end of the Messiah. 24 pages of amens. It goes uh, on for a good few minutes. Uh, well, yeah. if, if Jesus so many times in the gospel could have said amen, amen, we translate it truly or verily or whatever, but he said it in double time, we can allow Handel to have said it for 24 pages. A lot of pages. He, he multiplies on and on, amen, amen, right till you get to the very end and... Uh, he oh, just, and he, he just was keeps, reworking he's things reworking a little even bit there, there. You can see, and then we get finally a great amen, very emphatically at the end. Wow, end and, of the oratorio. And you're wondering, should I really stand up and go home after this? When he finished, there is a story 
And he did this in three weeks. Yes. Didn't leave the house. Uh, just kept writing the whole time. Missed some meals, I've understood. I'm still the same. But apparently there was a great spiritual relief when he finished this. Yes, yes. There's a, a story that says that apparently at the end he said, I, I felt I saw all heaven open before me and the face of God. Um, again, we, we, this is a story that's lasted over the years. So uh, I'll take it. I think we can take it. All right. Thank you, Catherine. Pleasure. Catherine Hogg from the Foundling Museum in London. Handel was completely drained by the end of three weeks. I mentioned it first came out in Ireland. In London, it was highly criticized by the clergy of his day. They decried a performance of a religious work outside of a church. Some claimed it was even sacrilegious. But today, it's performed more at Christmas than at Easter. It's performed in more churches by far than in concert halls around the world. Handel kept reworking Messiah in later years. He was driven by this deeper faith to honor his Lord even more by making it better. That day with Catherine Hogg, I was shown several generations of Messiah that just kept getting refined. My hands were shaking that day when I was given gloves to wear and hold in my hands an actual page from one of those original manuscripts. A spiritual fire burned inside me. Messiah starts with a prophecy leads to a Savior and the Christ who is coming again. What a way to get ready for Christmas. From the Messiah, George Friedrich Handel, worthy is the Lamb. The Lamb and the Shepherd, figuring heavily all the way through one of the greatest pieces of music ever written. This is a series on Haven today called Comfort Ye, My People. And after hearing excerpts from the Messiah, I think you will agree with me. This is a masterpiece with few, if any, rivals. 
But as we've learned in the last few minutes, this was a masterpiece with a mission. It really means a lot to me to know that Handel and his friend Charles Jennings were deeply concerned over the decline of their culture in the 1700s. Secularism and humanism were on the rise. Social morals were in decline. Doesn't that sound a little too familiar? Well, their solution? Take the Word of God and put it to music. Every word from Handel's Messiah, straight from God's Word. Every passage pointing to Jesus. There's nothing like it. And I can't recommend it highly enough for you to listen to this holiday season. The recording we have of Handel's Messiah at Haven Today was recorded by the Cambridge Singers. It's an arrangement by John Rutter with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It was recorded intentionally in a small church so you could clearly understand every word. May I invite you to let this masterpiece fill your home and your heart with the light and glory of the Messiah. You just need to call us right now and request your copy of this two-CD set of Handel's Messiah. Our thanks for your gift to the ministry, and it's really a Christmas gift to you early on. Our number to call right now is 800 654 2836. That's 865 Haven. Or go online at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. And when you go online, watch the mini documentary that we shot when I visited Handel's house in London. And don't forget, we still have the first season of The Chosen, all eight episodes on two DVDs for your minimum gift to the ministry. Christmas is not too far away. This just might make a great gift for someone you love. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again, we get to share together the great story, It's All About Jesus, here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with God, this is David Wolin with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. It's a big deal to choose a name for someone else. And yes, it's possible to change your name in life, but most people don't. The name your parents gave you is probably the name you'll have your whole life. Sometimes parents even name their children in honor of another person, but there's no greater honor for anyone than to be known by one name in particular. And I'm talking about the name of Jesus. Because those who follow Christ are known by His name as Christians. We're His possession, His bride, His prize. He writes His name on us. Revelation 3. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God. Grow daily in your walk with Him. Visit GetAnchor.com.